Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. For Pacifica Radio, October the 3rd, 2021. I'm Scott Horton. This is Anti-War Radio. All right, y'all, welcome to the show. It is Anti-War Radio. I'm your host, Scott Horton. I'm editorial director of Antiwar.com and author of the book, Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism. You can find my full interview archive, more than 5,600 of them now, going back to 2003 at scotthorton.org and at youtube.com slash scotthortonshow. All right, introducing this week's guest, my very favorite guest and yours too, the great Gareth Porter, now writing regularly for the Gray Zone Project at thegrayzone.com. Welcome back to the show. How you doing, Gareth? I'm doing fine. Thanks, Scott. Glad to be back. Very happy to have you here. And such an important piece that you have for us this week. Corporate media stirred global terror hysteria. Wait, we could stop right there, right? Oh, corporate <laughs> media stirred global terror hysteria to push post-war hostility toward the new Afghan government. All right. Well, the new Afghan government means the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan, which is qualitatively worse than the Islamic Republic of Afghanistan, which it replaced in power two months ago, um, I guess. But so, well, yeah, anyways. now the Taliban's back. And can we start with everybody knows that the Taliban are a bunch of horrible SOBs and they always were and they still are. Is that fair? You know, they're uh they're, they're part of a wide array of SOBs in Afghanistan. Uh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, you, you know, if, if you want to get into fine distinctions, then I think you can make some distinctions between the Taliban and some of the worst SOBs uh, that the United States has actually supported over the years. So, um, you know, that that's part of the background of this, but not the story that I'm working on, that right. I did work on. Well, but it is important, right? Because we don't want people listening in the audience to just think, oh, a couple of Taliban apologists. I mean, I don't think there's any such thing in North America as somebody who favors the Taliban, other than maybe Bill Clinton. You know, Zbigniew Brzezinski is dead. So yeah, that policy, no... you know, nobody supports them. We're not here to apologize for them. We are here. You are here accusing people who are falsely accusing them because no matter whether they're SOBs or not, the truth is the truth. And we're loyal to it. Yeah, you said it right. I mean, you know, the, the, the point here is that the that there are interests in the U.S. government who want to do things in Afghanistan or around the issue of Afghanistan. Afghanistan or elsewhere in the Middle East that require them to carry out certain propaganda that involves the Taliban. And that's what we're talking about here. Right. Okay. So now just to make this very clear for people, because this isn't just a matter of stupidity or something. This is just a matter of wide scale ignorance in this country. And for benefit of the doubt purposes, let's just assume that the listeners this morning are under the age of 30. They don't really know. They don't remember how this war started. They've been told about how it started, but they didn't live through it. And so maybe they don't know the difference between the Taliban and Al-Qaeda in the first place. Gareth, can you please enlighten us? 
Absolutely. This is a, a crucial point, and uh, it's worth starting with it, I agree, uh, because that, that is indeed the, uh, the crux of, of the matter of my article, how the United States is propagandizing about uh, a tie-in, not just a tie-in, but virtual you know, similarity or virtual identity of interests between the Taliban and al-Qaeda. And that is, uh, that, that is really a very serious misrepresentation of the history of the relationship between the two. Now, obviously, there is there has been a relationship uh, between the Taliban, the, the original Taliban government, and Al Qaeda way back in the 1990s, when the Taliban were the uh, post-Afghanistan war regime. Uh, and, and without getting into uh, any detail on that history, of course, the point here is that the United States was supporting. Uh, a vast array of uh, jihadist forces uh, who were in their own way, uh, in many cases, if not most cases, uh, terrorists. They, they carried out terrorism without any question. Uh, particularly, you know, after the Russians were defeated um, and a continuing war was taking place among the jihadists themselves. There were horrible uh, terrorist incidents that were carried out by non-Taliban forces, uh, people that the United States had supported. So the, the Taliban were part of that broader history of uh, opposition, of, of resistance to the Russians in Afghanistan, and were uh, in power in the 1990s, in part because many of the other major political groupings of uh, the jihadists had discredited themselves, um, had made uh, enemies, uh, so many enemies, and and had uh, really alienated the population of uh, Afghanistan, particularly the urban populations, uh, so that they were able to take power in in 1995, uh, and that's really the background of this uh, uh, this tale that we're talking about today, of how. Uh, the United States has, has basically taken on the Taliban uh, in their propaganda efforts. Mm -hmm. uh, so so I, I hope that maybe covers the, uh, the most basic part. But the al-Qaeda forces were in Afghanistan uh, during that war against the Russians, uh, providing training for various jihadist groups, uh, including um, you know, working with the Taliban and doing that. So, so there was that relationship during the, uh, the Afghan war, and they stayed on afterwards uh, to continue to do some training. But, and here's the, here's the big uh, but uh, that the people are really unaware of, the relationship between the uh, Al-Qaeda, bin Laden's uh, group of, of trainers, uh, Arab trainers in Afghanistan and the Taliban government during that period was not all fuzzy and warm, believe me. It was very rocky. They had very big differences. And uh, there were occasions when, the, when Mullah Omar, the head of the Taliban regime then, not only threatened to uh, kick the Al-Qaeda trainers out, but actually did seriously consider measures to do that came very close to doing that. Right. In fact, uh, just to be clear here for, for people to understand that when we talk about Al-Qaeda in Afghanistan, whether in the 1980s or 90s or whatever, 
we're talking essentially about Saudis and Egyptians. We're talking about, and not not entirely, but you know, you throw in some Chechens or whoever. But these are Arabs. Right. These are not Afghans. They're not from Afghanistan. Right. And when Bin yes. Laden first came back to Afghanistan in 1996, he was planning on hooking up with Burunadine Rabani. But then the Taliban were ascendant and Rabani was marginalized. So the Taliban ended up taking the capital city and they were stuck with bin Laden. But it wasn't like bin Laden and Mullah Omar had been good friends from before. Bin Laden was exactly. expecting to be hosted exactly. by right. entirely by separate way, factions in the country when he got there. Right. And, and let me just insert a, a key point from my point of view, at least here very quickly, that that when the. Obama administration was uh, aiming at uh, planning to send 40,000 troops or 35,000 troops to Afghanistan in 2009, 2010, there was a propaganda effort carried out by uh, one of their key officials who had been involved in the planning to blacken the, the Taliban by suggesting that they were indeed in very close league with Al-Qaeda, had been and still were, and that the relationship between Mullah Omar, the head of the Taliban, and bin Laden were very, very close, and there was even some um, marriage tie-in between the two. It turned out to be just simply a pack of lies, which I exposed in my own writing back then. Right. It, it was really a, a really horrible example of just how far... U.S. officials would go in trying to carry out their propaganda in terms of lying. I mean, there was right. no effort at all to to check any of these lies and find out if they were true. And so, so that that's just how far they would go. Yeah. Well, and, and look, and I mean, that's that is not some minor point. I mean, the fact is they have to lie about all this stuff because the truth does not favor their policy at all. They have to get it all completely twisted around. And I would cite for you before we you know move into the modern era here. Right at the dawn of the terror war, the end of the 90s, the beginning of the terror war, Milton Bearden, who had helped run the CIA operation in Afghanistan in the 1980s, he told the Washington Post that, look, Mullah Omar hates bin Laden and wants rid of him. And he's tried to give him up to us over and over again. And the Taliban would do things like say, oh, gee, we lost track of bin Laden. He's out falconing somewhere in the countryside. In other words, Wink, wink, elbow, elbow. He's outside of our protection right now. And if you guys dropped a bomb on his head, we could say, hey, not our fault. He was out in the countryside where we couldn't protect him. We told him to stay home at his farm and this kind of thing. And then the way that Bearden talked about it, he said the Americans just wouldn't speak their language. They would say to us, hint, hint, hint. And we would say to them, hand him over. And then they <laughs> would, it would go nowhere. And this had been going on since the Africa embassy bombings of the summer of 1998. Right. So so that that's the background of of, you know, what what happened later, which is that after uh, 9-11, when the United States simply demanded that he be handed over immediately and and uh, Mullah Omar said, look, you know, we, we have to do this in an Islamic way. There has to be an Islamic tie in in order for me to justify handing over bin Laden, who is a, an Islamic guest and by, by the way, is very popular in my country. Uh, I need to have uh, some way that Islamic countries can be involved in the judgment. And uh, so there was some back and forth, and the United States simply refused to agree to any negotiations and said, you know, you've got to turn him over straight. 
or we're going to attack you. And that's exactly what happened. Right. But and, there was. And, and was just enough. on that, Gareth, I'm sorry, but, um, yeah. you know, in, in my book, I categorize or, you know, explain and have footnotes to explain each piece of this. They did try three separate offers and including on the day the bombing began, October 8th, 2001, they said, OK, 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 you don't even need to provide us any evidence and we'll turn right. them over to any third country in the world. I mean, presumably yeah. excluding Israel, too, but. Otherwise, they'd have turned them over to the French or the British or the Mexicans for us. And we could have had them in an instant. And Bush said, too little, too late. That's it. War is on. And then what did he do? He let al-Qaeda go and focused on regime change in Kabul against the Taliban exactly. instead. This is the uh, this is the dirty linen that uh, you know has normally never gets talked about, right? I mean, this is this is how terrible the, the 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 lack of any consistency in U.S. policy toward uh, toward the Taliban and toward Al Qaeda were in this period. Yeah. All right. Now, so look, we all know the story that the, the Al Qaeda guys got away at the end of two thousand and one. And the Bush guys just had to pretend that they were there for the rest of the time. I don't remember a single case, correct me if I'm wrong, right. where like, oh boy, right. we came upon a group of Arabs and had a big firefight through the entire rest of the Bush presidency. And then exactly uh, in the in the um, Obama years, remember Bill Crystal, uh, uh, pardon me, uh, Stanley McChrystal. I got Bill Crystal on the brain this week. Um, <laughs> Stanley McChrystal wrote his report saying, listen, I need a big escalation in 2009 as part of the effort to roll Obama into the search, which worked, of course. And when he gave the report to Congress, Lindsey Graham had to pull him aside and say, General, you forgot to mention Al-Qaeda. There's no Al-Qaeda in your report anywhere. And McChrystal said, oh, no, I totally forgot to pretend that there's Al-Qaeda in Afghanistan somewhere and went back and added it at the senator's suggestion. That's a good one. That's a good one. Very My good, God. And then catch. I got a brand new one for you, too, Gareth. It's out of the new Bob Woodward book, Peril. It says, Biden recalled, this is page 381, Biden recalled visiting Afghanistan when he, while he was vice president-elect. He met with then-U.S. commander David McKiernan, who said they had not seen al-Qaeda in 18 months. Right, right. And that was back in yeah. 2008, before he was sworn in yeah. as vice president. So, so just, just, I mean, that's a good segue into the, the, the final you know, version of this whole uh, theme, which is that there was a, a myth that grew up that was sounded uh, very recently in the media, which is why we're talking today, uh, about how al-Qaeda and uh, the, the Taliban were remaining close allies throughout these years, whereas in fact... Uh, there is a very great deal of evidence that what actually happened was that even though the Taliban had been helping, uh, that sorry, that uh, al-Qaeda had been helping the Taliban in their 2005, 2006, 2007, 2008 offensive and helped to make it more effective, what was going on in the background of this was that the People in Al-Qaeda wanted to separate uh, from the Taliban. They wanted, the, they wanted to have a party in Pakistan that might then draw support away from Mullah Omar's Taliban 
because they wanted a party there that would support explicitly the al-Qaeda line on jihadism, which was global jihadism, supporting terrorism against the United States and uh, its allies around the world. So what, what, was, what was happening here was that uh, Omar was saying no, he, he was not going to go along with that, and they knew that. So there was a big parting of the ways in 2007, 2008, 2009, when al-Qaeda went ahead and created this uh, Pakistani party, essentially a Pakistani al-Qaeda party, the Tariq Taliban party. And this was the big parting of the ways between the two. Now, of course, they continued to have contact with one another, and you know they didn't completely create enemy relationships between them, but there was a great deal of distance and tension between them. But now, of course, you have the media parroting a line which was being talked about in the wake of the defeat in Afghanistan, the U.S. defeat in Afghanistan, that, oh, you know, al-Qaeda is going to be a big terrorism problem because they're going to now allow al-Qaeda to come back in and use Afghan territory uh, to carry out uh, terrorism plans. And this was a complete lie. Uh, there was no real evidence to support it whatsoever. Hold on just one second. Be right back. So you're constantly buying things from Amazon.com. Well, that makes sense. They bring it right to your house. So what you do, though, is click through from the link in the right-hand margin at scotthorton.org, and I'll get a little bit of a kickback from Amazon's end of the sale. Won't cost you a thing. Nice little way to help support the show. Again, that's uh, right there in the margin at scotthorton.org. Hey, you want to know what industry is recession-proof? Yes, you're right, of course, pot. Scott Horton here to tell you about Green Mill Supercritical Extractors. The SFE Pro and Super Producing Parallel Pro can be calibrated to produce all different types and qualities of cannabis crude oils for all different purposes. These extractors are the most important part of your cannabis oil business. For precision, versatility, and efficiency, GreenMillSuperCritical.com Hey y'all, Scott here. If you want a real education in history and economics, you should check out Tom Woods' Liberty Classroom. Tom and a really great group of professors and experts have put together an entire education of everything they didn't teach you in school but should have. Follow through from the link in the margin at scotthorton.org for Tom Woods' Liberty Classroom. Yeah, now we've seen claims and claims and claims of Al-Qaeda in Afghanistan. I'm thinking of... Thomas Gibbons Neff, and I pick on him because I really respect him. He's probably the, the writer <laughs> I like the most at the New York Times, former Marine and a friend of a friend of mine, and who's done really great work on Afghanistan. And yet, he claimed one time that, you know, they found a giant Al-Qaeda training camp in Kandahar province that had been there right under their nose for maybe even years. And then they sent in the B-52s and just carpet-bombed it off the face of the earth or whatever. But not one spot in that entire article does he say why these guys are Al-Qaeda guys. What connection do they have to anybody? Are they Saudis? Right. Are they Egyptians? Who are they at all? He doesn't say at all. As far as I know, they're just local Pashtun militiamen. And who says they're Al-Qaeda? Somebody. The Pentagon or the, well, the CIA, CIA or some spokesman claims. And then that's good enough somehow. But there's never any actual evidence. Ever. Well, they, they have put forward the name of a, an Al-Qaeda operative in Afghanistan. 
Afghanistan. Oh, that's right. The uh, one Egyptian public relations guy that they province guy. Yeah, that was um, the one guy was, in the last 10 years. You got me there. That's right. That's the yeah. one exception. Yes. Right. Otherwise, they say, well, you know, you have to look at the U.N. reports. But then you look at the U.N. reports and the U.N. reports say, mem- according to member state information, which then they don't even describe at all. Just somebody with a government job claimed this to us and now we're repeating it to you. And isn't that suspicious right on the face of it? Well, you know, there's a U.N. report that says the U.N., what do they know about it? You're not even going to. It's like yeah, the British have learned up. Saddam is trying to buy uranium from Africa. Oh, the British learned that, did they? You know? I know. Whether this is this is a scandal, it really is. The way this UN outfit has been used constantly by the US media as a way of uh, basically getting the the most damaging storyline out uh, to to the public about uh, the Taliban, for example, and other uh, issues. But in fact, I mean, this outfit simply picks up the current political line from various intelligence agencies and other outfits that have an obvious interest in peddling, <laughs> in peddling their propaganda line. So they have no way of checking it. They don't, they don't claim that they even check it or anything. No fact checking involved. Yeah. Uh, and then this is the same thing I see as a trend lately now, especially in Reuters, I think, that, well, you know, there's this new group. AQIS, Al-Qaeda in the Indian right. subcontinent, which I'm sorry, but just on the face of it, that sounds like somebody else's problem to me. And it, and it also sounds like they're facing east from Afghanistan and not a problem for those of us in North America, whoever they well, are. Well, you're absolutely right about that. And, and by the way, it's very clear that the U.S. counterterrorism specialists have long since decided that al-Qaeda does not represent a terrorism threat in Afghanistan. They don't claim that anymore. I mean, these stories are not coming from the real specialists who have been studying this most closely. It's coming from basically political types who are pushing a propaganda line. And that's a very important distinction to make because, I mean, there, there are people who were directly involved in uh, the counterterrorism part of the U.S. government, who have said explicitly that they no longer have any evidence that uh, al-Qaeda is working on terrorism in Afghanistan. They haven't had any evidence of that for years. Yeah. Now, let's talk about Jalaluddin Haqqani. This was a guy who was uh, Mujahideen, backed by the Pakistanis and the CIA during the Reagan years in the 1980s there. And then he was part of the civil wars that tore the country up until the Taliban finally marginalized him and the rest of the warlords in 95, 96. And then I don't know where the hell he was, if he was with the Northern Alliance or if he made his peace with the Taliban between 96 and 01. I forget. Uh, maybe you can enlighten us on that. But I know that and this is in Anand Gopal's book and, and people can read his articles at Tom Dispatch about it. And it's in my book, Fool's Aaron, about how Akani tried to surrender to the new American-backed government over and over and over again. He had been America's friend before, and they essentially Absolutely. just refused to let him come in from the cold. Right, right. So, so you're asking me, what about this guy? And the point here, of course, in this context, is that Hakani has now, the Hakani network has been targeted by this new round of propaganda uh, as a particularly nasty fellow or, or nasty group of fellows 
who are dangerous because they are not only tied in with al-Qaeda, but also with, guess who, Islamic State. Um, and this is, this is a particularly nasty piece of propaganda work because it's so completely uh, unrelated to any evidence whatsoever. <laughs> I mean, nobody really seriously uh, uh, has suggested that within the U.S. government. Uh, it's all coming from, uh, you know, this, this post-U.S. Uh, def defeat effort to muddy the waters. And the idea that, that the Haqqani network is sort of in hoc to al-Qaeda or, uh, you know, is, is following the orders of al-Qaeda or, or doing their bidding, uh, it's exactly the opposite. I mean, the, the Haqqani network is far more powerful than, than al-Qaeda uh, has been for many years. So I mean, do they have any relationship? They probably do. Yes, they probably make contact with them. Yes, there's no doubt about that. But, but al-Qaeda is if anything, serves the interests of, of the Haqqani network rather than the other way around. And then there's the whole idea that somehow infudated or, or related to the Islamic State, which is a particularly nasty piece of propaganda work, because in fact, they have nothing to do with the Islamic State. And the idea basically was promoted by one interest and one interest only, and that's the intelligence agency of the former Afghan government. They're the ones who've been peddling that line for years. Right. Uh, nobody else took it seriously. So well, and look, as, you know, as long as we're talking about who's complicit with ISIS in Afghanistan, the reality is they are Pakistani Taliban refugees from Obama's drone war there, which wasn't just against Al Qaeda, but as you reported so well at the time, meant an alliance with the Pakistani government against the Tariqi Taliban there, which drove many of right. them into the Nangarhar province. Where then, and there's this great article, I'm sorry, I forget the guy's name, but uh, it's a great article at afghananalysts.org, um, which I cite in my book as well, where he describes how the NDS, which is the Afghan Intelligence Service, which was, right. you know, basically means in parentheses, the CIA, which was running the thing the whole time, that they recruited these guys. They wanted to use them against the Afghan Taliban and as revenge, do revenge strikes in Pakistan. As, you know, that's what you get for backing the Afghan Taliban against us on this side of the line kind of thing. And then it was only, right. what, a year later, a year and a half later, something, they hoisted the black flag and declared their loyalty to ISIS and no longer to the CIA and became the big boogeyman, you know, safe haven myth part two, why we have to stay because of the new dangerous ISIS-K, which... Of course. Yep, yep. I mean, come on. How could there be such a thing that the CIA didn't have a hand in helping to create in the first place, you know? Yeah. And then, of course, as, as I think you suggested very quickly, but may not have been picked up by many listeners, uh, you know, the, the Haqqani network was um, was extremely uh, close to the CIA. They were supported very strongly by the CIA. That was one of the key uh, groups in the uh, war against the Russians in Afghanistan that the CIA was arming and, and promoting and giving money to. And, and there's this great book by George, George Creel or George Creel about how the U.S. CIA was supporting al-Qaeda people in Afghanistan. And there the was very close relationships. And in that book, of course, Haqqani is, uh, is a major figure because it was, of course, Charlie Wilson of the famous guy who was uh, really pushing the war in 
the CIA war in Afghanistan, who was extremely close to Haqqani. Mm -hmm. They were best of friends. And uh, George Creel uh, basically ends his book with the scene of the parting between George and the Haqqani guy. Mm -hmm. uh, they were such good friends. Right. They had a party to, to uh, mark the, the end of their, of their collaboration after the war. All right. So there's for the past truth and the present debunked propaganda. But what about the future? The Taliban do make bad decisions sometimes. However, there really does seem to be an ideological split here. I mean, a religious one, too, where, you know, the, the Taliban are Hanafi Sunnis, which is different than the Wahhabists, and they have a whole different set of beliefs and whatever. But um, there's also, I think, politically, there's really a split between those who want world revolution and those who want revolution in one country, as is the case in American history and in Soviet history and now in jihadi history, right? Well, absolutely. I mean, this is a fundamental, uh, uh, not just a distinction, but a a big uh, gap, uh, a conflict between two points of view that have in the past been, you know, related to one another, working with one another, uh, the Al-Qaeda view on one side and the, the Taliban view on the other. The, the Al-Qaeda view is, you know, global uh, jihad, and the Taliban view is we only have a jihad for national liberation. Um, and that was always their viewpoint. They, they didn't have to change their view. It was always in favor of merely fighting for their own country's freedom from foreign interference or foreign occupation. And so it's a fundamental divide, and uh, it has been going on now for many, many years. And the, the fact that, that this post-U.S. war in Afghanistan propaganda offensive claimed that the, the, uh, the Taliban regime was somehow infudated to al-Qaeda is just one of the worst lies that I have encountered uh, in my many years of encountering many, many lies from the U.S., uh, uh, emanating from the U.S. government. All right, you guys, that's Gareth Porter the Great. He's at thegrayzone.com, and his latest piece is called Corporate media stirred global terror hysteria to push post-war hostility toward the new Afghan government. You can also find it, of course, in his archive at antiwar.com. Thank you, sir. Thank you, man. Good to be back again. All right, you guys, and that is Anti-War Radio for this morning. Again, I'm your host, Scott Horton. I'm the editorial director of antiwar.com and author of Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism. Find my full interview archive more than 5,600 of them now, going back to 2003 at scotthorton.org and at youtube.com slash scotthortonshow. I'm here every Sunday morning from 8.30 to 9 on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. See you next week.